husband and wife are one person in law. That is, the very being or legal existence of the woman is suspended during the marriage or at least is incorporated and consolidated into that of her husband. God bless. See you next week. (laughs) Um, So wrote Sir William Blackstone, Justice of the Court of Common Pleas in England, Uh, in 1836. Um, If if you want a really good laugh, go to Google Books and and search for his um, commentaries on the laws of England and read through his chapters on marriage and parenting under British law in the 1830s. It is hilarious to read. It is so, so outmoded and outdated. And I'm just fascinated how the world of ours has changed in, in, what, less than 200 years. This morning we're, we're continuing our, our journey with Paul through the letter that he wrote uh, to the church in, in little backwards old Colossae. And, and we've arrived today at a passage which, which I think some people would much rather prefer wasn't in the Bible. Uh, a passage which some people at least would rather we just skipped over and moved to chapter 4, verse 2. Because there are people who assume that what Paul writes in these verses that Reg just read to us is just as ridiculous as what I read from 1836. But we're not going to skip it because if there's one thing I'm convinced of is that it's that God's word is just as relevant today as it was when Paul first wrote to the Colossians all those years ago. So, so I'd invite you this morning to, to, to explore with me, uh, with open minds, exactly what Paul is saying to us uh, today in terms of our relationships with one another. And just to recap of the last, believe it or not, two months or so, that Paul has written in Colossians to remind us of exactly who we are as Christians in Jesus. He's, he wrote to, to tell us how beyond valuable a treasure Jesus is for us be, because He's not only God for us, but He's also God with us and in us. Paul's catch cry is, is Christ in us, the hope of glory. Uh, he, he wrote and he's told us that that in Jesus we find meaning and purpose in life and and we saw that that in Jesus we've been set free from sin and and that He has given us a new life and a new existence that that He calls us to live out even now as we wait for His coming to bring us to be with Him. And we finished last week in in verse 17 with Paul writing to us and, and saying, in whatever you do and whatever you say, Do it and say it in Jesus' name. And I think we have to keep verse 17 in mind when we look at what Paul writes next. Verse 17 is the backbone on which the flesh of verse 18 to chapter 4 verse 1 is hung. And I think the reason Paul speaks about our relationships at home and, and, and later on at work 
is because the new life that Jesus has given us cannot help but have an impact on those things. Being a Christian changes the way you relate to your spouse. Changes the way you relate to your children, to your parents, to um, your colleagues, to your boss. Because whatever we do, whatever we say, wherever we are, we are Jesus' representatives. We are acting as His ambassadors to this world. His ambassadors to our family. His presence to our work. And to be honest, isn't it at home and at work that we really are ourselves? This, this week I took uh, delivery of my latest Adrian Plass book. Um, this guy makes me I'm sure my neighbours worry because 11.30 at night they hear me laughing out loud. Brilliant stuff. Listen to what he says. One of his characters. That's the old point, mate. Sorry for my accent. It's easy to be all lovely-dovely in church and that in it. Piece of cake. Something like this, what you're doing. Well, ain't so easy to keep the old pretending up, is it? A little bit of aggro little bit of sorting out, do us all good. Find out what's happening behind the old crinkly smiles. And his point is, we can come to church and we can put on the facade, but a little bit of aggro at home, a little bit of aggro at work, and we see what's really inside of us. And I think before we, before we look in detail at what Paul is saying, what we have to remember is that the reason Paul wrote this letter to us and to the Colossians is that he wants us to fully embrace who we are in Jesus. Um, the NIV, the TNIV, has got a heading over this section in your Bible probably that says instructions for Christian households or rules for Christian households. I don't like that. <laughs> because these aren't rules so much as, well, they're, they're practical everyday examples of what it means to be becoming more and more like Jesus. I mean, these, these things in verses 18 to chapter 4, verse 1, are, are, are rather hitting the road examples of what it means to do everything for Jesus' sake and in Jesus' name. So let's have a look, um, dive right in at the, the really controversial one. Um, anybody here upset by verse 18? I hope not. Good. Um, some people find it controversial. Chapter eight, uh, 3, verse 18. Wives, submit yourselves to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. came across a really interesting story uh, from 2003, Berlin. A 73-year-old bloke had the police around to his house, up on his roof, confiscating his personal air raid siren. Because his neighbours had been complaining that he kept letting it off. 
And, and the story came out that, that he had an air raid siren because when his wife wouldn't let him speak, he would blast it for a few minutes to shut her up. <laughs> this was his way of forcing his wife to submit to his will. I mean, the neighbors complained, but you know, I'm guessing he might have fitted in quite well back in Paul's day. Back then you were considered a good and a fortunate man if you had an obedient wife. If you had a wife who would do whatever you asked her to do without question. If you had a wife who was totally under your thumb. I mean, that, that's the way society in general worked back then. Under the law of the Roman land, your wife wasn't even seen as a real person. Out of a whole family unit, the only fully legal person was the husband. His wife was his wife, his possession. And it's into this culture that Paul writes and he says, Wives, as ambassadors for Christ, verse 17 Uh, in the name of the Lord Jesus, submit yourselves to your own husbands as is fitting in the Lord. And I guess maybe part of this, what Paul is trying to say is, uh, in your culture be all things to all people. Um, Don't don't give anyone an excuse to reject Christianity because... Um, you're not matching up to what they consider to, to be right and proper. But does this verse still apply today, Australia, our culture? Yes. Because there's more than just pragmatism at, at work here in what Paul says. Because what Paul is doing is He's challenging wives to do something different than society demanded of them. You notice that Paul doesn't say, wives, obey your husbands. Paul says, wives, submit to your own husbands. Paul says, wives, choose to submit to your husband. Choose to not try and boss it over him. Option number two. This makes my voice sound a lot deeper. Uh, Paul Paul doesn't say to wives, wives obey your husband. Paul says, wives choose to submit to your own husbands. Uh, Choose to to not rule over their lives. And I think what we've got to remember when we look at any of these things uh, is is the, the, the emphasis that, can we turn this down just a fraction? One, two, better. The emphasis that, that Paul's got throughout his, um, 
uh, throughout the book that he's written, in fact, through most of his, his writings, is that in Christ, there are no divides. In, in Jesus Christ, we are all equals. Being a bloke doesn't make you any more important in the kingdom of God. Being a, a woman doesn't make you any more important in God's kingdom. Being a husband doesn't make you worth more in God's sight. Being a, a wife doesn't make you less valuable in God's sight. I think Paul would, would have us say quite clearly that there is no universal or natural law which says that, that husbands are better than wives or, or are over wives. What Paul writes to us, he says, you are equals in Christ. The world back then worked and said, husbands are above wives. But that's not the way of the kingdom of God. God, as verse 25 tells us, doesn't play favorites. He loves each and every one of his precious children absolutely equally. And just as an aside, I'm overjoyed to see something of this kingdom flowing into our culture and society at the moment. I think it's great. So we come to verse 18, and, and the thrust of everything that Paul writes is that we are equals in Christ, and yet he says, wives, submit your own husbands as is fitting in the Lord. How do these two things come together? Can I suggest that they actually fit hand in glove? Because submitting yourself to someone doesn't make you any less equal or valuable or important than that person. I mean, think of the example of Jesus, um, Philippians 2, 6, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing. I mean, Jesus is God. Jesus is equal to God. He is he's absolutely equal to God. And yet he submitted himself to God's will. I mean, the Garden of Gethsemane, right before he's, he's about to die, and, and he prays, Lord, if there is any way that you would take this cup away from me. And yet not my will, but yours be done. I mean, by submitting to God the Father, was Jesus any less equal to God? I mean, of course not. Because submitting ourselves to somebody else doesn't change who we are. I mean, it maybe it changes how we are. Maybe it affects our lives in, in ways that, that, that we'd rather not have them affected, but but at the end of the day, submitting yourself to somebody else, in this case wives to husbands, is, is a decision to step back in trust on somebody else. To, to let somebody else call the shots. It's, it, it's saying, I will entrust my very self into your hands. And it is complicated. Um, because um, hands up all the wives who say their husbands are not perfect. 
Right, um, we'll have a counselling session after the service for the... <laughs> Hands up husbands who are not perfect. You know, Jesus could, could absolutely submit himself to God the Father. Could absolutely entrust his whole life to God the Father. Because God is God and God is absolutely trustworthy. God is love incarnate. And it is complicated because us blokes are still works in progress. Husband is not yet like Christ. Hopefully he's becoming more and more so. And look at the tagline that Paul throws at the end of verse 18. He says, Wives, submit to your own husbands as is fitting in the Lord. In other words, a, a Christian wife submitting to her Christian husband is, is not so much about how trustworthy he is, but about how trustworthy God is. It's saying, I, I will trust you because you are trusting in God. Because you are trusting in Jesus. And can I challenge wives, don't, don't read this verse and say, I must submit, I must obey my husband because that is the natural way of things. You might have heard, Adam was made first and Eve was made second, so men are more important than women. I actually read a commentary that, that went down that line. But it's bad thinking because in Christ we are equals. We are, we are in Christ. That's all that matters. But may I, may Paul challenge the wives here this morning. Submit to your own husbands because you want to be like Jesus. Because you want to live out his attitude of humility for the sake of your husband and, and for the sake of the world to see something of Jesus in you. But let's move on. Okay, enough for the wives. Blokes, it's, it's our turn now. Verse 19 says, Paul, husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Notice again, Paul doesn't say, husbands, control your wives. Paul says, husbands, love your wives. I read somewhere someone said, if, if a wife is asked to submit to her husband, it is to his love, not to his tyranny. If a wife is to submit to her husband, it is to his love, not to his tyranny. And do you see how, how what Paul says in verse 18 to wives and what he says in verse 19 to husbands just, just interlock and, and, and just feed into each other? I'm, I'm reliably informed that, that the more a husband loves his wife, the easier it is to be loyal to him. And the more loyal uh, a wife is to her husband, the easier it is to love her in return. It, it's like a... Oh. You know what I'm going to do. That is my human version of a feedback loop. 
Thanks, Steve. It's probably not good for the equipment. You know when you get a microphone really close to a, a speaker and it feeds back and the noise gets louder and louder and louder. Um, verse 18 and verse 19 are like that. It's, it's a feedback loop. It's a, it's a self-reinforcing system. And you know how I said earlier that, that blokes don't always get it right, that husbands are not yet perfect. Husbands whose wives are perfect, put up your hand. I'm going to get you into trouble when you go home. <laughs> Look at the second part of verse 19. Paul says, Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. In other words, don't, don't abuse their choice to submit their lives, their selves to you. But, but you know, the second half of what Paul writes in verse 19 can also be translated another way. Have a listen to how the Holman Christian Standard Bible puts it. Um, it says, Husbands, love your wives and don't become bitter against them. In other words, don't become angry or resentful or, or, or embittered when it turns out that your wife is not the perfect person that you once thought she was. Don't stop loving her because she won't always submit to you. I read another story, a newspaper story this time, many years back of a bloke who, whose wife would never listen to him, so he went to bed with a blindfold over his head for seven years. And it made the newspapers when he finally left his bed. Seven years, he was so embittered by his wife. Only in America. And Paul says, don't be embittered. Because your wife is just like you, still a sinner saved by grace alone. Instead of being harsh, instead of being embittered, love. I mean, think how God treated us. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The godly for the ungodly. He didn't look at us and turn away and say, why should I be bothered? They don't submit their lives to me. I'm not going to care about them. God said, no, I love them. And I will start the feedback loop. I will love them. And this is not meant to be a marriage seminar. Um, there's only the first two verses. But if what Paul is writing doesn't describe your marriage, can I encourage you to look through these verses again together? And blokes, the, the, the impetus is on you. Because the tone that starts the feedback loop is love. God loved us while we were still sinners. Actually, verse 19 is much harder on men, on husbands, than verse 18 is on wives. So, that's husbands and wives, done. 
It's all sorted. Um, you know exactly what the Bible says about how husbands and wives should relate to each other. Done. But if that covers husbands and wives, what impact does being a Christian have on our relationships with our kids or with our parents? Again, back in those days when Paul was writing to the Colossians, the only legal person in the family was the dad. The the children were his property. He had power over life or death over his kids. But, but the wonderful news of the gospel, as we read through the testament, is that in Christ, we are all equals. A 12-year-old who has faith in Jesus Christ is just as much an equal as somebody who has been following Jesus for 102 years. There is no difference in Christ. There are no divides. What matters is, is that He is in us and we are in Him. But Paul writes to us in verse 20 and he says, Even kids, in what they do and what they say, verse 17, can live out their faith for Jesus. They, they can be ambassadors for Jesus in the way they relate to their parents. Uh, verse 20, Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. And I'd obviously say, yes, children have to obey their parents. But the motivation here is not obey your parents because you have to and it's the right thing to do. What Paul says is, children, obey your parents because this pleases the Lord, because it puts a smile on God's face, because that is who Jesus wants you to be, the sort of person who is obedient to those in authority over you. And if Christ is in you, he's changing you to be like him. That's a story answer, by the way. The book is the Bible. The seed is the good news. I'm sure you all got that. Think of Jesus obedient to the point of going to death on the cross. Think of Jesus paying taxes to Rome. An example of obedience to us and to children. And Paul goes on, verse 21, he says, Parents, interact with your kids in the name of the Lord Jesus. Verse 17. He says, Paul, don't embitter them. Don't constantly nag and belittle and, and push them down into the ground and, and say that they're not good enough because when you do that, they will become discouraged. Again, think of the way Jesus treats us. He's, he's not into the game of embittering us, is us. He's, he's not into the game of discouraging us. I, I love the story of, of, of Simon Peter disowning Jesus three times and, and he's mucked up royally. And Jesus is executed and, and he's out on the lake one day and he sees a man with a fire cooking some fish. And he runs over and it's Jesus. And Jesus turns to him and says, huh, what do you want? I told you you were going to deny me. I told you you weren't going to be good enough for me. Turns his back on him. Gives each of the other disciples a slice of fish. 
that's not the way Jesus is. Simon runs to him and, and Jesus greets him and he feeds him. And he brings him over and, and, and yes, he corrects him, but, but then he gives him this task of, of looking after his sheep. I mean, what an encouragement to, to Simon Peter. And I think Paul says to parents, be like Jesus, like that, in your relationship with your kids. And notice, just like, just like husbands and wives, there's a feedback loop here in verse 20 and 21 again. I mean, how much easier it is to obey a parent who you know just has the best in mind for you. And how much easier to encourage a child who's obedient. Is that true? I'm not a parent. Is that true? Is it easier to encourage an obedient child? I thought as much. My poor parents. You know, I I reckon the last few things, and we're almost finished here, the last few things that Paul writes, um, verse 22 to chapter 4, verse 1, it'd be pretty easy just to skip over it, wouldn't it? Because let's be honest, Slavery's gone. Paul's writing to slaves. He's writing to masters. None of us here match either of those criteria. But I do think that, that what Paul says indirectly speaks to uh, us at work. The principles that he has here for masters and slaves speaks to us as uh, employees and perhaps if there are any employers here. I mean, what can we say looking at these verses? If we are working in the name of Jesus, verse 17, we are called to do the very best job that we can do. Because at the end of the day, we're not out to impress our boss. We're not out to to make a good impression when his eye falls on us I love the image of eye service there. At the end of the day, in everything we do, it is Christ who we are serving. We're doing it for Jesus because He has done so much for us. He's saved us, He's rescued us, He's given us new life. I mean, this is, this is just, uh, 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 we are working for Him because He is our everything. There was a survey done back in 2007 where they asked um, a whole bunch of people how happy they were at work and if they were unhappy, what sort of effect that had. Um, 30% of those who thought they had dodgy bosses, uh, 30% of them deliberately made mistakes or slowed their work. 29% took a sick day when they were probably down at the pub, 27% made a conscious effort to avoid interacting with their boss, 25% spent longer out at their breaks than than most people. And that's human nature, isn't it? When, When we've got a dodgy boss, or a nasty boss, or a harsh master, to use Colossians language, we slack off. But Paul writes and he says, look, even if you have a soup Nazi for a boss, 
You're not working for that person. You are working for Jesus Christ. And so you should have the best attitude possible at work. Because it's an attitude of love and service to the one who gave you everything. Uh, and again, if you're a master, if you're an employee, employer, what an opportunity, verse 1, chapter 4, to, to show Jesus to those in your service. To be fair and just and right, not only because that's what the law says, but because that's who Jesus is and that's who Jesus wants you to be. Let me finish right here. The day we became Christians, our lives changed totally. A seed was planted within us. Literally, we we, we had our our old life swapped out for a new life in Jesus. And he took up residence in our lives and and he started renovating us and renewing us to make us like him. And, and I think Paul's challenge to us is to allow that new life to start seeping out into everything we do and everything we say. And he's just given us a few examples uh, with, with, with your marriage and with your kids and with your parents and, and at work and, and, and with your employees. Let Jesus in you come to the surface. Because everything we do is seen through the lens of Jesus. That's what verse 17 says. Let Jesus be the lens for everything you do and everything you say. And may I, may I pray this prayer for us. Father, in whatever we do, Lord, when we speak, Lord, when we act, Lord, whatever, in everything, may we speak and may we act in your name. May you be visible in how we relate to our wives and our husbands and our children and our parents and our colleagues and our employees. Lord Jesus, we want to serve you. We want to be you in these places. Amen.